official podcast of JetNation.com, the largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now, to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here's your host, Glenn Naughton. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. I will be joined shortly by my co-host, Alex Varallo. Special edition episode tonight. We are going to be talking draft. It is all over and done with in the books. There was some good. There was some bad. Some Well, some questionable. There was some uh, bizarre, bizarre situation surrounding the Jets. Um, rumors regarding Mike McCagnan and Adam Gase. Just, just some some only the Jets type of weirdness there. We're going to get into that. But before we get into anything, uh, we're going to thank our sponsor right off the bat. This episode of Jet Nation Radio is sponsored by FanDuel Sportsbook. If you're in New Jersey, you can go get you can get a $500 risk-free bet when you sign up. This applies to all markets, including the NBA, NHL, MLB, or anything else that you fancy to wager. So we are going to uh, we're going to get into this draft. There's going to be you know, of course, as as you would always expect, there are some differing opinions on, on what the Jets did, what they could have done differently. And as is always the case, we have no idea who the hell is right, wrong or otherwise, because these guys haven't stepped on the field yet. But we're going to we're going to go over the picks. We're going to go over whether or not we agreed, whether we disagreed. And uh, as I said, we're going to cover this very strange situation involving head coach Adam Gase and GM Mike McCagnan. So let's see. Alex, are you on the line with us? Hey, Glenn. How you doing, bud? Good, or good afternoon, Jet Nation. Yeah, yeah. I said, I said good evening, didn't I? It is, it is afternoon time. Um, but, man, well, Alex. It's, it's evening, but over here, it, I guess it's still afternoon. It is. It is. <laughs> it is. I try to stay on the, uh, on the listener's time. But uh, what a bizarre, bizarre situation, Alex. Let's, let's first um, – let, let's – I don't even know what I want to, lead, want to lead with Alex in all seriousness. The draft obviously is the big story, but the elephant in the room is the Mike McCagnan, Adam Gay situation. It was, um, we'll recap. I'll recap it real quick, give my thoughts, and then you can chime in, Alex, and then we'll get into the picks. But again, this is the elephant in the room. Um, as far as, you know, Mike McCagnan was questioned, said there were no issues, but basically what, what happened was a, a, a couple of, uh, Boston guys, I don't even remember who they were, um, did a, a, I don't know if it was a podcast or a radio show, Tony Pauline, I think, and uh, and some other guy. They did a show saying that there were rumors, uh, there were rumblings within the Jets organization that Mike McCagnan might be fired after the draft. Something that makes so little sense to, to go out and let a guy spend $100 million and build a draft for you and make your picks for you when you have the third selection. Um, to say you're going to fire that guy right after the draft makes less than zero sense. Uh, Chris Nimbley, who covers the Jets, then chimed in saying that he spoke to two people who do not work for the team, but they are league insiders who claim they are hearing the same thing, which was that much more bizarre. Uh, Rich Samini chimed in saying that there, that there are similar rumblings. If I, it, I could be misquoting that tweet. I don't have it in front of me. 
But uh, but Rich, basically, Rich Samini weighed in on it, uh, which kind of gives it even that much more credibility. I mean, like Samini or not, the guy's been covering the team for longer than anybody. And Manish Mehta gave, you know, threw in his two cents and said the rumors are absolutely 100%, if not 200%, false. There is zero truth to those rumors, which, as I said, would be the sensible thing. You think, okay, people trying to get clicks and get listens, so they're going to say bizarre stuff. Then the draft happens, and I don't know if Adam Gase was even in the building. We saw 20, 30, 40, 50 pictures, you know, these behind-the-scenes sort of, you know, in-the-war-room pictures on the Jets' official site. I didn't see one picture of Adam Gase. When, when they were drafting these guys and calling them, as is customary with every team, the owner, the GM, the head coach, they get on the phone, they call the player, welcome to New York, we're happy to have you, blah, 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 blah. Who was making these calls? We saw Chris Johnson, Mike McCagnan, and defensive coordinator Greg Williams. Adam Gase, nowhere to be seen. And then, when come time for Mike McCagnan to meet with the media and talk about the picks, he was flying solo. No Adam Gase. The coach wasn't calling the players. He wasn't talking to the media about the players. And the team didn't have them on their own website. I mean, you, you have the obligatory picture on any website of the, of the coach and the GM pointing at a piece of paper as if they're, you know, this is the guy we're going to take next. You know, you get the fan base riled up. You show that everybody's working. All of a sudden, it's like Adam Gase doesn't exist anymore. They ask Mike McCagnan about him. He's, uh, Adam is, is making phone calls to the uh, undrafted free agents right now doing some recruiting, which is possible. But this is just – listen, this could be absolutely nothing. I don't want to fan the flames of a, 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 a clickbait fire, which I may be doing inadvertently. It's just give me a, give me a reason to be able to say this is completely ridiculous. If they're making these picks and Gase is on the phone and he's – sitting down with, with Mac, and even if he, even, listen, you expect the, the obligatory, you know, you, you, you don't expect anything special. Sit down, eh, we saw some good things on film, we like this guy, we think he can do, uh, we think he can do some things, we look forward to working with him. That's all. That's all. That's all anyone ever says anyway. What'd you like about him? Ah, oh, he's fast. What else? He's kind of tall. Generic answers. That's all. But we got Nothing. It's bizarre, and and it could be absolutely nothing. Adam Gase might have the flu. I have no idea. Maybe he said, I feel and look like crap. I'm going to sit in the corner pitching my two cents, but I'm not getting on in front of a camera today. Entirely possible. But the timing of it, a day or two after there are rumors that Chris Johnson is, is, is worried about what in the world he's going to do about this organization, about – I mean – it, it's weird, folks. That, that's, that's the best way you can, you can classify it. If you want to say there's nothing going on, fine. I'll, I'll say it, too. There's nothing going on. But that is weird to not see your head coach, over, your brand-new head coach, over the three-day course of an NFL draft that, that fans and teams look forward to all year. So, your, your thoughts. Or I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sitting here, Alex. I'm sitting here reading a tweet from Adam Schefter, and I said to Adam, Alex, <laughs> your thoughts. Good, 
Um, it, I definitely was a little taken back um, with a lot of the headlines that were thrown out. Um, I think Tony Pauline was one of the guys that kickstarted the whole um, Mike McCagney's on the hot seat uh, conversation. I think this is something that we've kind of all known um, throughout, you know, going from last um, <clears throat> last year and him making it through the off season and Todd Bowles was fired. So we knew that basically this was a year where he had to turn everything around and there's definitely a lot more pressure um, on him. And, you know, so he had to uh, really, really have a good draft this year, which I think he did. But I, I like the way that Manesh came in and kind of put out the fires and said, believe this if you want, you know, go with this if you want. But I can 100, 200, 300 uh, percent say that, you know, none of this is what I'm hearing from, from my side. And, uh, you know, I know Tony Pauline's been around the NFL for quite some time, but, you know, I'll go with the guy that's kind of got the inside scoop with what's going on on the daily. So um, at this point, uh we're responding to the Adam Gay situation. It definitely is odd. Um, I know that there were some conversations by Chris Johnson talking about uh, about how much power or, you know, uh, player influence that he would have. Maybe this was alluding to that, uh, where Mike McCagnon said, I want to have my own draft with less people so that I can think about what I want to do here and not get influence from, you know, outside people because maybe he had his own game plan set up compared to what other guys were trying to do. And, you know, he just wanted to have full control, um, which is, I guess, understandable. If you're in the hot seat and you want to make sure that, you know, you're getting the right players that you feel that's going to team improve now and in the long haul, you know, maybe you just don't want any outside influence. So that could possibly be it. Nonetheless, it, it is very strange, you know, but there was a lot of different uh, conversations and, and articles being said, even Oakland sent their scouting um, team or all, a group of people home early and said, don't worry, you know, we'll, we'll, thanks for what you guys have done with all your reports and all your scouting, but we got it from here. So, you know, maybe this is kind of the new thing that, you know, coaches and front office people are, are going to tend to start doing moving forward, going into these drafts, you know, so that you don't have, you know, any sort of, conflict again um to kind of repeat what i said earlier but i'm not going to see too much into it right now um you know i think that mike mccagnon's you know got a good relationship with the johnson family and he's not going anywhere um as of right now uh he does have a little bit of work to do i I feel before we get to you know future uh camps and and things like that because we do have some interior stuff on the offensive line that i'm sure we're going to get to later on tonight but uh you know all in all i'm not going to rushing it, you know, too worried about this situation, even though it is a little bizarre. Yeah, I wouldn't be, and I wouldn't even say I'm worried. I'm intrigued. Um, and the only reason I'm a little bit intrigued is because this is the Jets. And I mean, what, what other team, uh, you know, gets their quarterback knocked out in the locker room? What other team loses a championship game because uh, a kickoff after a score gets caught up in the wind and bounces back to the other team? Or at halftime, as was the case against the Broncos, what what other team has a coach quit by writing a note on a napkin to the media and walking out the door 24 hours later? Like, bizarre stuff just – and I know every team feels like that. Their team goes through some weird stuff. But the Jets have been through some weird stuff. And, you know, again, I, I that that's what has me keeping a close eye on this. Like, why – again, if uh, if not for the fact that Gase was invisible, I had already dismissed it. I thought, oh, this is just, you know, people talking, blah, blah, blah. 
And I just keep seeing these clips, the interviews, the website, the videos, the, the still photos. And I'm like, where the hell is Adam Gase? Like we, every year it was Bowles, McCagnan, Rex, Idzik, Rex, whoever. And uh, yeah, it was uh, no, no, no Adam Gase. So it's weird. And we will be watching and, and just really bizarre. Uh, you know, some people speculating it could be a power grab by Gase. Maybe he figures I'm here. I'm tied to Darnold. I'm the offensive guy. If one of us has to go, it's going to be the GM. Because what are you going to do? You're going to fire Adam Gase before he coaches a game and hand the team over to Greg Williams? Because you're not handing it over to Spence from King of Queens. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> what it, it, you're, just, you're not doing that. So um, I don't know if this is just, again, Adam Gase feeling like, you know what? I, I said I don't want power. Um, I lied. I want power. And I'm the guy who's here to develop your young quarterback. So uh, – Give me, give me the reins or, you know, we're going to have some problems. I certainly hope that's not the case, and uh, we, will, we will leave that there. Um, I will just say that I, I get what you're saying with Oakland, but, you know, the big difference is with Oakland, they sent the scouts home. You know, the head coach and the GM were still there. Um, when, when the head coach is invisible on draft, draft time, it's just strange. But anyway, it is draft time, well, or draft, draft time has just ended. And um, a few notes I want to throw out. There's just a few thoughts. Um, if you'll bear with me for a second, Alex. Um, first of all, you know, grading, grading drafts in the days following. Uh, for, for a long time, or, you know, I, see, I feel like every year I see tweets, comments, message board comments on Jet Nation, uh, the best Jet Nation, the, the best Jets message board on the internet, by the way. If you're not on, get on JetNation.com. Join up, post. What you do see is people, I see people literally like, getting mad that people are grading a draft. How can you grade a draft before a guy's even played? And it's like, uh, number one, it's fun. Like that, that's, why, that's why we have these hobbies, because they bring us enjoyment. Um, number two, you're not, you're not grading the guy's career. You're looking at what he's done. You're watching, you, you know, you're watching a handful of the, the guy's games. You're reading scouting reports and seeing if you're seeing the same thing that the, the quote-unquote experts are seeing. You're looking at your team's needs, and you're kind of grading that. Did we get a player who was well thought of at a spot that we could use him? I literally see these people. Stop with these stupid days after the draft grades. They haven't played yet. It's not a how good has the guy's career been. It's do you like the way your team did what they did? People are nuts. People are completely out of their minds. Um, if, you know, as far as Mike McCagney goes, we've talked, Alex, about people who, you know, who, the, max, the, the, the max detractors. And listen, there, there are fair criticisms to be leveled against Mike McCagney. I've acknowledged that many times. But they're, they're, the, 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 the reaction from the fans I was seeing during this draft was unbelievable. It was like every single move he made, no matter what he did, it was wrong. He didn't trade down. He's an idiot. Why didn't he trade down? He said he wanted to trade down. He told us why he didn't trade down. The offers weren't there. Did you want if, – if the Washington Redskins called and said, hey, Mike, we'll give you an extra third rounder if you move down to 15, would you have liked that? No. And I can guarantee you if he had traded down, no matter what he got, there would be people crying about it. Oh, my God, we had a chance at a blue-chip player. 
And this idiot GM traded down. This guy's a moron. Fire him. Mike McCagnan didn't trade down. Fire him. Mike McC- Oh, look, he, he, he went with the early safe pick with Quinn and Williams. Why not go with Josh Allen? Take a little bit of a risk and get an edge guy. And what does he do in round three? He takes a risk on an edge guy. What does everybody say? Oh, my God, he just wasted a pick on a guy with a bunch of red flags. This is why he needs to be fired. Like an hour ago, he needed to be fired because he wouldn't take a risk. Now he takes a risk in the third round. Now he needs to be fired. This guy never drafts offensive linemen. What does he do? He trades up and drafts an offensive lineman. Oh, no, but he he needs to draft an offensive lineman I've heard of. This guy must suck because I've never heard of him. And believe me, I've been studying the draft every night for 20 minutes when I get off work at Dairy Queen. (laughs) And I've still never heard of this guy. Fire McCagnan. Jesus Christ, people. Oh, my God. It's great being a Jets fan, isn't it? (laughs) Every single move. Every move. Every move is bad. You know, there's either the drastic to one way or the drastic to the other. And, then you know, that's what people do as fans. You know, that's what... The good thing and the bad thing about social media is that it gives people a platform just to just, you know, let their emotions out right off the handle without even processing anything or trying to look at a bigger picture. And uh, definitely a lot of reactions uh, throughout the whole draft process. And, you know, being a GM, that's the kind of position that you are. You're, you're either a genius or you're a moron. And, uh, you know, clearly, like you had just stated, there was nothing that you know, was in our mind, the King's ransom, and he didn't want to get policed and miss out on a good opportunity. So he felt that it was the best direction to sit. And, you know, you can play devil's advocate and and play both sides of the coin. I, for one, wanted a trade because I kind of knew the flexibility that it would give so that we could attack more pressing needs and interior line and on defense, offensively, the whole nine yards. But, you know, he sat tight. And, um, you know, either way, the way you could have looked at that um, and, and through his process on day three, which we'll get to as well, because I've got some mixed opinions myself on day three. But, uh, yeah, that's just going to be the overall consensus from, from here till week one, it seems. Yeah, and you know what? Right off the bat, let, let's be critical of Mike McCagnin. Let's, the, the, the biggest failure of this, not just this draft, but this offseason, and – there's no way of sugarcoating it. Well, I get. The, I mean, you can you can take a, a have a positive outlook, but there's no way of sugarcoating the fact that they didn't get a high level center in free agency or the draft. And we'll talk about that first because that's been the most common criticism of McCagnan, and probably the most fair criticism of McCagnan, that there were guys he took in this draft when there were guys on the board who could have played center. My my belief is that McCagnan and the Jets felt that unless they got a center in round one or two, one of the top flight guys, whoever they got wasn't going to be ready to play this year. And so why take a guy in round three or four or five when you're probably going to go with Jonathan Harrison or a veteran who you might sign as a free agent? There are a few guys out there. Steve Wisniewski comes to mind. Not a great player but could be a bridge-the-gap guy where you, you figure center is probably or will be a top priority next year. The free agent market wasn't what we thought it would be. We thought there would be two guys. But in all reality, Matt Paradis, you saw the Broncos offered him one year. If the Broncos weren't sold on him being better, on his leg being healed, 
then I don't have an issue with the Jets not giving him a big contract. And of course, Moore went to Buffalo for eleven, twelve million a year. Whether the Jets, I mean, the Jets had the money. Maybe they didn't want to play pay eleven, twelve million a year for a center. Maybe the, the Jets probably just looked at this. And and I'll say this too, Alex. I think the Jets approached center and corner in a somewhat similar fashion. I think at center they said, look, we're not getting a, a premier guy, so whoever we get won't be ready anyway. Let's just try to get a premier guy next year. And with corner, and I tweeted this out a couple months ago, just a gut feeling. I thought, I think they're happier with their corner situation than the fans realize. I think they're, I think Greg Williams is thinking, I can coach Tremaine Johnson at a level where, no, he won't be the guy he was three or four years ago, but where he'll be good, much better than last year. Not great. He will be overpaid, but he'll be all right. And then between Daryl Roberts and Derek Jones, I'll get one of those guys to play decent. Don't rule out the possibility of Mo Claiborne coming back. And then Parry Nickerson. So I think I think they like their group. I don't think they're I don't think they're expecting them to win the Super Bowl, but I think they feel like they have a group they can win with, especially with the front seven they've now assembled. And on that note, that front seven that they have assembled, Alex with the third overall pick, the Jets did not trade down, and they land arguably the best player in the draft, a guy we talked about at length. In Quinnen Williams, what were your thoughts when the Jets got him, when the reality of, you know, all the mocks and all the, the prognosticators and us included, what did you think with them taking him in that spot? And uh, how do you feel about it overall? Um, I, I'm very happy that the Jets got a player that they had very high on their board. Uh, I think he's a phenomenal um, athlete, a great prospect. He's going to be a focal point of this defense in a 3-4 or a 4-3 scheme. He gives us the versatility to where we can mix match um, our formats and not change personnel too much. So it's always good to have a player that you can move around and, you know, he can give you different looks and kind of throw off offensive teams on how you're going to plan to, you know, attack, um, you know, either one of the Williams and Williams connection that, that we've just created. So I'm certainly happy uh, that, you know, Greg Williams has a good centerpiece where, you know, He's going to create an interior uh, pass rush and pressure into the pocket, and that's going to open up opportunities for guys on the outside. So you don't really have to focus too much on the exterior edge position to get your pass rush from the inside out. So we can do things a little differently than what we could have, you know, a week ago. Um, you know, at the same time, there there was a part of me, like in my mock draft, I, I thought Josh Allen would be a good selection for us, mainly in the – uh, area that I knew if we took Quentin Williams first, we would have to address edge at some point in that one of those uh, third round picks, which we clearly did. And my whole aspect was that I wanted to cover, you know, maybe cornerback, a wide receiver, a couple offensive linemen, and get, you know, a premier uh, defensive player and get out of Dodge. So, you know, it didn't work out the way my mind had it set, but all in all, I think that's a great way to start, you know, night one. And to get a guy that has, you know, extremely high ceiling and potential. Yeah, you know, speaking of mock drafts, I know I made some alterations when we came on the air and changed it up a little bit. I didn't want to come on and repeat myself, but uh, and I'm I'm not one to pat myself on the back, but this is probably the only time in my life this will happen. So I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna bring this to your attention, Alex, in case I don't know if you you saw it, but last week when I I, I messaged and said, hey, put up my mock on Jet Nation a little bit early. We'll do a new mock on the show. I'll make some changes. Um, 
But uh, that that and Manish made a tweet earlier today that the Jets did want Connor Connor McGovern, um, and mm. when Dallas snatched him a couple picks before them, that the Jets panicked a little bit and they didn't want to lose out on Chuma Adoga, so they, that's why they traded up to grab him and not lose the next lineman on their board. Um, anyway, the uh, the the mock draft I I posted on Jet Nation a week and a half ago, mock 2.0, I had Quinnen Williams with the third pick, I had Jukai Polite with the 68th pick. I had uh, Connor McGovern. I knew he said Connor McGregor. Connor McGovern mm. with the next pick, and I had Chuma Adoga with the next pick. So um, I don't know that I've ever gone three for three with players that were on the board of the Jets. I mean, if I can get one guy outside of round one, I'm usually ecstatic. Um, but that, but I liked. Listen, Quinnen Williams. To me, you can't go wrong with him. He's 20 years old. He's already doing things that, you, you know, the kind of things that you expect to see from veteran players. Great handwork and just just overpowers people at the point of attack. He's twenty years old, man. The guys, it, it's just, it's just uh, the, the potential this kid has, and you know, and people. This is another thing, and this is the, these these are the same fans who are upset that the Jets draft players that they've not heard about, um, or that they've not heard of. Well, how could a player possibly be good if I didn't hear about him on my favorite podcast? Um, I've I've heard people say. Oh, you know, we, we drafted Leo that are, you know, uh, sixth, and he was supposed to be the best player. And he, look how good is Leo? Listen, first of all, Leo is better than people give him credit for. But Leo was, turned out to be, one of the best players in that first round. Probably, definitely, top two or three. So he ended up being what they said he would be. Or damn near, you know, damn close to it. Among those first round picks. With Quinn Williams, we're talking about the best player in a deep, deep, deep class on defense. Tons of defense in this draft. And he was, he was regarded as the best player. He is a better prospect than Leonard Williams. Pro football focus, like him or not, don't care. They said they gave Quinn Williams the single highest grade of any interior D lineman in the five years they've been grading college players. Because you drafted a defensive lineman X amount of years ago, in a similar spot that you drafted this year, that doesn't mean they're the same guy. That's idiotic. It's beyond stupid. That's this, and, and I said this a few weeks ago. These are the same people saying, don't draft Sam Darnold because Mark Sanchez wasn't good, and they went to the same college. Ugh. I mean, come on. I, listen, I understand the, 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 the hesitance, like that, that knee-jerk reaction, like, oh, Jesus, another quarterback from USC. Like, like that split second. But then, then you have to be an adult and say, oh, wait, well, let me look at this on its own, individually. What, how good is this guy? Because player X at this school sucked doesn't mean player Y from that same school will also suck. Don't ever draft an Ohio State player. Ever heard of Nick Mangold? It, I mean, come on. Be better than that. So the Jets get arguably the best player in the draft with a third pick. And then, as I mentioned, the dream scenario, which I really didn't think would happen, but uh, it was absolutely stunning to me that it did because the Jets don't normally catch a break like this. Ja'Kai Polite with the 68th pick. Your thoughts? Yeah, this was um, a scenario that I I didn't see happening, to be quite honest with you. Uh, And if you want to talk about potential and value, um, you know, I, for one, uh, talked about this a couple weeks ago. Um, 
my my personal opinion about the whole combine is it's kind of a crazy whirlwind of events for these guys. You you put a lot of time and effort um, preparing for Saturday games and, you know, the film pretty much shows everything. And, and then players come in here and they, they say a few wrong things or they don't get the, the greatest 40 time because maybe they tried to put on weight, which is something that I heard about polite that he wanted guys to see like a bigger um, edge defender. So he wanted to impress people with his measurables and it basically hurt him at his 40 time. And apparently throughout his uh, workout process, he had a little bit of a hamstring issue. So that was another thing that, you know, affected him, but the eye test and, and the film, this guy's all ball. He's got a great knack um, as a, as a speed rusher and being elusive. Uh, I really like a lot of the moves that he used with uh, being a little twitchy and getting the uh, offensive tackles to react, and, and then he would counter off of that. So you see a game plan coming into his uh, pass rushing skills. His, uh, the way he dips and gets under blocks with that inside shoulder, uh, that bend, that flexibility that you always talk about, those traits are there. Uh, you want to talk about a, a fluid spin move um, and a good burst off the line of scrimmage. These are all things that Chakai Polite will bring and that Greg Williams will be able to use. And when you have offensive linemen trying to focus on the big interior guys, you're, he's going to be getting more one-on-one opportunities, maybe against tight ends, maybe against you know running backs coming off to try to chip block and pass protection. This is where he's going to you know really, really thrive. So I'm excited for this guy. You know, he will have to worry, work on, you know, uh, shedding blocks and, and being more consistent in the run game. But, you know, with the guys up front, I think that he's going to be a really, really good fit for us. And and what do you think, Alex? I saw a tweet today from Ian Rappaport, and I, I, I replied that I, I think it's a fair comment. And that was that the Jets <coughs> felt like Ja'Kai Polite was the second best pass rusher in this draft. I'm assuming behind Nick Bosa. He didn't say who number one was. Uh, but – you know, Josh Allen can definitely do some things that, that Polite can't. Probably you can drop back in coverage better, which is a nice extra tool to have in your toolkit. But just in terms of being a pure pass rusher, and I, I don't think that was far-fetched. When I watched those two guys on film, I think the, the one thing, and not that this is Josh Allen's fault, but I saw him get a lot of, or at least a handful of, of uncontested sacks, where whether it was a missed block or just, you know, they, the – the defense had it drawn up just right. There seemed to be quite a few times where he came in untouched and not just clearly, you know, not always a matter of him overwhelming somebody. Whereas with polite, you know, the majority of his work, he was, he was, as you said, showing that Ben showing that dip. And I'm not saying Josh Allen didn't have that. I just feel like I saw polite kicking more people's asses, I guess would be a better way of putting it. And, and that's another thing. I'm glad you mentioned the, uh, the, you know, as far as the hamstring goes, I did see, uh, I, I can't remember who it was, but they said they spoke to a, an executive and they weren't buying that. They, they said, we don't buy it. He's out of shape. His hamstring's fine. He just knows he's going to run slow. But that's neither here nor there. You know what this reminded me of, Alex? And I don't know if you saw this story. This was a story that was published uh, this past, last offseason, or leading at the training camp. And I was surprised this didn't get, didn't get more traction with Jets fans. Because it, it really blew me away, um, and I actually included it today when I did the uh, the draft recap when I when I graded this draft. So we we've all heard the the criticism over the years about the Jets taking Stephen Hill. Um, you know why the Jets take Stephen Hill? Uh, Alshon Jeffrey went two picks later, and he was awesome. Look how great Alshon Jeffrey is. Look how bad Stephen Hill is. What the hell? Is, you know the team blew it again. 
Well, if 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 the Stephen Hill pick over Alshon Jeffrey upset you, then you need to not be upset about the J- the Jakai Polite pick, because what Rich Cimini reported was was that after Alshon Jeffrey put on weight during his senior year, and scouts noticed and felt like maybe he'd lost a step, questioned his work ethic. He came into the combine, and his interview with the Jets went so poorly, the Jets ended it early. They were like, you know what, man? We're, we're good. You can go now. We, we, we've seen enough and heard enough from you. Jets sent him out of the room. Stephen Hill shows up. Three-piece suit. Got a nice tie on. Act like, like it mattered to him. Like he was on a job interview that mattered. He cared. Professional. Contrite. And that, and, and that, that sealed it for him. Like, we want the pro. We want the guy who wants this. Not the guy who we had to cut the interview short because he was, you know, whatever he was doing that rubbed them the wrong way. And we all know how that turned out. They ended up taking the high-character guy. And listen, I'm not saying Alshon Jeffries has bad character. But I'm saying that the same things that are being said about Ja'Kai Polite is exactly what occurred between Alshon Jeffrey and the Jets. And the Jets passed on him. And the, and the other thing is how many times have we heard, Al, um, you know, Alex, that about the fans who get upset and say, you know, stop, stop drafting workout warriors. Draft all that matters is game film. Turn on the film. That's what tells you if a guy can play football or not. All of a sudden, Ja'Kai Polite, who's a double-digit sack guy with 19 and a half tackles for loss in the, in the SEC, you know, we're, we're not talking about the MAC in the SEC, and fans are upset about this pick. Because because he didn't interview well, and he and he came in heavy at the combine, which the Jets are now saying he and players do do this sometimes. Jalen Ferguson did it. Players will sometimes put on weight intentionally leading up to the combine to show they can play at a heavier weight. But the bottom line, Jakai Polite is a guy who can be a game changing edge rusher, something the Jets haven't had in years. And now you can you add him, Quinnen Williams and Polite to that front seven. With Leo, with Henry Anderson, with Jordan Jenkins, who, please don't forget, he had seven sacks last year. They have some guys who can play. C.J. Mosley's a pretty damn good blitzer. You now have a front seven that is formidable. So I don't want to hear about he had, you know, he didn't work out well. Because as we've been saying forever, game film trumps combines and pro days. He interviewed poorly. I'm sure a lot of guys interview poorly. And if you want to say he has a high bust, you know, a higher probability to bust, fine. I can live with that. I'll roll the dice on a guy who might be an elite edge rusher in the third round if I know there's a 15 or 20% higher chance it won't work out. Because if it does, I've addressed one of the most important positions in the NFL with a third round pick. And you have him on the cheap for the next four years. So, you know... The, the inconsistency with the responses. First, it's just go off the game film. The second the Jets draft the guy, they go off the game film. Oh, my God, but there's red flags off the field. And it's not like he committed a crime. He didn't impress in interviews. Anyway, this is supposed to be a fun time. This is supposed to be a fun time. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, but yeah, I don't know. Oh. It was literally it hours for, of every single Oh, sour, my God, this is so stupid. <laughs> this is so dumb. Why are they doing this? All right. Yeah. I, I literally, I literally saw somebody say, "I can't believe they traded up." When you know, this is the 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 Chuma Adoga. We'll get onto that pick next. Someone literally said, 
And this is supposedly a Jets fan who, you know, knows a little bit about football. Says, I can't believe they traded up to draft a random guy. So, like, so because you've never heard of him, he's random. Like, I, I'm sure the Jets did no scouting. I'm sure they had no idea who he even played for. They probably called Sam Darnold and said, hey, Sam, name one of your college teammates. He said, Chuma Doga. They said, great, we'll take him. Come on, people. Chuma Doga, you had him in one of your mocks. I can't remember if it was an alternate or a primary. I had him in both of my mocks. Alex, talk to us about Chuma Edoga, and I might I might throw some questions at you while you, while you're talking. We'll we'll try to get a little more interactive here because I'm ranting and then you're talking and I'm talking and you're ranting. So let's we'll, we'll be a little more interactive for the audience. <laughs> go, well, go ahead. Here's my stance on Chuma Edoga. Uh, I, I am happy that the Jets were able to address something at the offensive line. That in my mind was probably the second biggest uh, priority for this team moving forward. Uh, I'd be lying to you if I was not uh, cursing to the heavens when I saw Conor McGrevin go uh, go a couple picks before us. And it really, really frustrated me that they pulled the trigger after um, he got selected. I I was saying, you know what, even right now, if you have to pair up the six and the seven with that three to move up and grab him, I think it would be justified. And, I think he uh, was the last. Be, uh, I think he was the last guy on the board that would have had a chance to start if they'd taken him. I feel like anybody absolutely. after that would have been at least, you know, maybe by eight week eight, nine, ten they start. But I felt like it would have been a heavy body, dose yeah, of Jonathan yeah. Harrison if they didn't get McGovern. But you know, he would have been a really good focal piece. But you know, I, I and what you said was exactly my train of thought uh, from earlier is that they did. I felt a little bit of panic moving up one spot and giving, giving that seventh pick, uh, seventh round pick to the Minnesota Vikings just so that they could get Chuma um, Adoga. And just right after that, uh, Bobby Evans, uh, another tackle that I feel could you could either, you know, maybe a liability on the left side, but he's got plenty of experience on there from college, easy fit for the right side. And then there was also Yadni Kajus. So you didn't really need to get desperate in my mind um, and move up a spot because you had three options at, at right tackle or maybe an interior guard uh, for the future. So I, I will be a little critical about that. I am happy, though, that they did get somebody that they coveted because I do believe that they uh, brought him in for a visit and they had their eyes on him. So they clearly coveted him, uh, being willing to give up, you know, a late-round pick and only moving up one spot for him. Uh, yeah, so I think the move up – I... <clears throat> No, I, was just, I think the move up, because we hear about this every now and then, I think the same thing happened with Bryce Petty, too. Um, teams will, and you know, I, yeah, a team could call and lie to you, but these teams largely negotiate in good faith, because if they find out you're pulling a fast one, then no one's going to do work with you. But um, my understanding, and, and it's happened before, is if I'm, if I'm Team A and you're Team B, and I'm picking one slot ahead of you, and Team C calls up and says, hey, we'll give you uh, pick 222, if you let us move up ahead of you and you go, damn, we could do that. But then we got to move back four or five slots. Hey, call the team right behind us and see if they'll beat 222 so we can drop back one spot and still get our guy. And I'm sure that's what happened with the Jets. The Vikings probably called and said, hey, listen, um, or, or sometimes the team has intel or they believe it could be that it could be that the Jets panicked. The Jets might have said, because I, I think this is kind of what Manish insinuated that when McGovern went, the Jets went, oh, damn, well, we don't want our next guy to go. Like, Chumadoga is the next guy on our board. 
So it could be the Jets uh, worried that someone else was going to leapfrog them to grab him. Or it could be the Vikings giving them a heads up and say, listen, we have an offer for pick 222 or whatever. Can you beat that? And you can get it. And then the Jets say, yeah, we'll give you 217. So, um, you know, the thought that the Jets just randomly traded up a pick for the heck of it to give a pick away to move up one spot, I don't think is realistic. But um, coming from the Nash, just to, you know, put a pin in this one. Uh, So yesterday he had tweeted that if you're wondering why the Jets gave up the seventh round to move up one spot, apparently the Vikings had told them or there was some uh, interest from the Ravens to swap third rounders and get two sixth rounders or something like that to them. So they had a deal on the table. um, So they, you know, they pulled the trigger so that they could get a guy that they were more comfortable with rather than, you know, waiting. I don't know how many picks it was. Uh, I think we were at 105. So it was another, it was less than 10 picks if I'm not sure. But exactly. Again, you know, they got a guy that they that they had on their board that they that they liked. Um, it seemed to be that there were some other teams that were interested in jumping in front of them to get maybe a Doga, and the Jets didn't want to have that. So, you know, um, you got to tip. Now, there's been some talk about a Doga maturity. Have, have you have you seen any of that? I, I saw that uh, he's apparently left a few games early because he was getting a little bit out of control. Um, but if the guy's got a little bit uh, of nastiness, sure Doga? yeah, yeah. Um, there was if, some some things I did read about him. Um, he, there was a game where he had uh, started the season. I think it was about 2016. He started two games at left tackle, and an altercation broke out with another player. And apparently, his hands kind of went wild, and he uh, caught a ref. I don't know where he hit him, but apparently, there was contact with the ref, so he was ejected. Um, and uh, later that year, I believe he was also uh, suspended for a team violation. So. You know, all these guys aren't choir boys. Uh, they are crazy football players at the end of the day. Um, but they, they did say that when he came back in 2017, 2018, he was a lot more mature, and he found a good spot on the right side at USC. So, yeah, and I, I, I for Sam. So Yeah, and I saw a lot of the I comps feel. have him as a left tackle. I saw the two of the comps I saw were actually Kelvin Beecham, and, you know, before the Jets took him. And I like him as a pass protector. I think the Jets have visions of him as a left tackle. Now, it could be that they work him at guard early on and see how he does. And mm-hmm. I'm going to keep beating that drum that I don't, I don't think Brian Winters is a lock to start this season as a, as a starting right guard. I think that between mm-hmm. Brian Winters, Compton, Braden, you know, Adam Gase is a guy, we, you know, we've talked about it before. He will bench people. He will trade people. He will cut people, whether you're a starter or not, um, unlike Todd Bowles. So I think that uh, I think between Compton, Braden, and now if they want to give Adoga a look, I I don't think Brian Winters. I think Brian Winters is a good player, especially when you look around the league and see what some other teams have to work with on their offensive line. I don't think he's great by any stretch. He would start for you know a handful of teams, but he, by no means is he a guy you look at and say, well, he's he's cemented in as the starter. So I could see him losing that job. Adoga maybe gets a look there. I'm looking forward to watching some more of him in the uh, in the coming days. But um, you know, overall, I think we're both happy with the pick, and that that brings us to the fourth round pick. And this could go down now. Obviously, you know, Trevon Wesco is already kind of for anyone for anyone who watched Brian Baldinger's breakdown <laughs> of Trevon Wesco. I'll tell you, like, I, I saw the pick, and I, I'm not going to lie and say I, I read a whole lot into him. He's a name I looked at before the draft. 
I saw very little production. I looked at his size and thought, okay, this guy's a bruising, blocking tight end. Had 30 catches, 36 catches, whatever it was uh, this year. The year before that, he had like one or two. So I thought, okay, blocking tight end. I'm not going to do a lot of homework on this guy. Um, And boy, was I wrong. Because Brian Baldinger comes out swinging. He's calling him baby Gronk. He's saying he's the Quentin Nelson of blocking tight ends. Brian Baldinger is buying tickets to this guy's enshrinement in Canton. Travon Wesco. And I'll tell you what, uh, the guy, you know, after watching Baldy talk about him, I, I look him up and I go find a couple of his games. And, you know, first, of course, you grab a quick highlight reel to get a general idea. And I watch a couple of his games. And I'll tell you what, man, this guy, 270. He can, you know, and Daniel Jeremiah, when they took him, said he's a guy he'll play H-back, he'll play tight end, he'll play fullback. This guy, I couldn't believe how soft his hands were. I'm seeing this guy pluck passes out of the air, and this isn't some stone hands big 270-pounder who's going to make a catch and, and, you know, get dragged for a yard or two and fall down. This guy's hauling balls in over the middle, barreling over guys and dragging people with him. And I'm I'm thinking – this, this this guy has fan favorite written all over him. This guy has like Mark Bavaro type written all over him. And then was it Damian Woody tweeted out um, right after the Jets made the pick. Said, just received a tweet from a coach who played against him this year. Says he is absolutely legit. Wasn't featured enough by West Virginia. I know we throw this term around a lot because it's fun and it's cliche, but... I think the Jets might legitimately have a steal with this guy. I was at first, I was very much like, eh, I recognize the name. This is too early. You really shouldn't be using draft picks on blocking tight ends, let alone this early. And then I go watch a game or two and I watch the highlights and I watch Baldy's breakdown. Look it up. If you haven't seen it already, follow, follow Brian Baldinger at Baldy NFL, former lineman, current analyst and watch his breakdown. And you're going to be, you're going to buy a Wesco Jersey the next day. Um, I, I can't knock it, especially, you know, again, we keep talking and hearing about Adam Gase and how innovative and this offensive genius that he is. This is a piece you look at and go, he should be able to make some things happen with this guy. So what were your pre-draft thoughts? If any, were they as limited as my own? And, uh, what are your thoughts about the Jets taking him in that spot, Alex? Uh, this is actually, um, pretty interesting because, Trayvon Wesco was a guy that I had been on the beat on probably back in March. I think I retweeted it yesterday after his selection. Uh, I, I do this funny thing where I'll put a set of emoji eyeballs and put a little pen writing on a piece of paper for the Jets to note during their draft process. And this was a guy I think I harassed him on. I was lucky enough not to get blocked. Uh, but I, I really liked uh, his versatility, uh, not only as an inline tight end being a blocker, as you mentioned, he's very light on his feet, and he's got some good hands. Uh, I think he measures in somewhere around between the 6'6 six, six to 6'7 six, range and around 270, 275 pounds. So you're looking at a very slender offensive lineman that we've kind of acquired that has uh, pass-catching ability. Now, what also comes with uh, Mr. Wesco is he's an H-back style tight end. You can put him out in the flex over out, you know, um, where, like, you know, generic slots would be and, if you do bunch formations, this is a great guy to have out there uh, to, you know, start little wide receiver screens and other, you know, scheme plays like that. And he can also be a fullback, and he's a damn good one too. Uh, watching his film, all you can see is 
oh, just devastating. Like, he might as well have kept a little stakes and crosses in his back pocket because he was burying bodies all over the field. Um, this guy shows very, very good technique um, for as big as he is, getting low, unhinging from his hips and hands, and, and, and showing that dominant incline press when he gets into your pads. This guy's going to be a phenomenal blocker, and I think it's a good move because, you know, some of us may have forgotten uh, Chris Herndon will be serving a suspension to start the beginning of the year. So this is also a really good way not to skip a beat and, and stay strong within that tight end position group for the beginning start of the season. And it's a good way to get his trading wheels put off too, because I do think that he's going to grab that number one role. And, you know, I think it'll be going back and forth between, you know, a 1A, 1B between the two of them. Um, I definitely would give advantage to Herndon. as I think he's a little bit more of a better athlete in the receiving department. But as far as having a solid guy that's going to definitely help our run game for Le'Veon Bell, uh, we have an extra protector for Sam Darnold. So in the aspect of not getting an interior, um, you know, maybe guard or center from this draft, getting a, a formidable tackle and then getting an extra uh, versatile guy for the run game and the pass game, uh, in Trayvon Wesco, I think, was a very good move for our offense. So um, maybe it's a low-key move. You know, from what I've heard, rumblings that there were a lot of teams that were targeting him in that fourth-round range and were pretty ticked that the Jets went and grabbed him. So anytime you hear stories like that, you have to be, you know, happy with what you got. And even though this may be one of those guys where, who the heck is this guy? Where did he come from? Like, really, a tight end at this point? You'll understand once the season starts. You know, this yeah, guy's not going to be Gronk off the beginning, but I think he's got a bright future. Yeah, I don't uh, – you know, I've said many times I, I anticipated a tight end being taken in this class. But I was looking at more of the uh, – I was looking at the guys who were just more productive. You know, and it, you know, even like Dawson Knox, who wasn't very productive, but he hmm. did enough. To, you know, he was on my radar a bit more. But uh, something about – you know, something about Wesco that when I was – Looking at the uh, looking at the tight ends early on, I think it was the I think I saw the two seventy and the lack of receptions, and just thought, okay, this guy's a blocker. Um, mm. And that tweet actually, the, the the exact tweet from Damian Woody, uh, former Jets right tackle, after he uh, after the pick says, just got a text from a head coach who coached against West Virginia uh, tight end Trayvon Wesco. Quote: Dude is a junkyard dog, just scratching the surface, and wasn't featured at West Virginia. Legit talent. So some some high praise from a college coach who coached against him, and like well, I said, the, the, the last thing I'll I'll throw in here is look at Jordan Leggett. He was one of the first tight ends selected from Mike McCagnon's uh, time in New York, and he's still buried in the depth chart mainly because of his deficiencies he has as a blocker. Um, he's yet to improve that, so this is why they're still looking for talent because the first thing that you need to do as a tight end is you have to be a solid blocker. So people will look at well, that and, as a bad thing. That's his biggest strength, and he has the, the receiving abilities as well. So just think about that when you're looking at the team as a whole. Yeah, and I think I think Leggett, I think last year, for me anyway, he was a much better blocker than I anticipated. He wasn't great by any stretch, but he wasn't the liability that I thought he was. Um, so not, uh, not, not, but, not as bad as I thought he was in that area. And I still think – I think the guy who's in trouble is Eric Tomlinson – because I can, I can oh, still yeah. see Jordan Leggett being a guy that Adam Gase can look at and say, we can line this guy up in the slot. We can line him up at, at tight end where, again, he's not a liability. He's not, he's not going to block as well as you might like. 
but you can I think there's still there's more salvageable with Leggett than you have with Tomlinson, who even as a blocking tight end last season was a terrible blocker. Um, so that was I think that's why he he becomes he takes Jordan Leggett's uh, roster spot. Let me ask you this: How did you feel? And I'm sure a lot of fans are probably wondering this too about the the two trades that they made in in the fourth round, um, sliding back twice and really not getting much more compensation, just kind of moving back in the fourth and sliding up a little bit in the fifth. How did you feel about that? Well, the first the first one I loved because they because I was saying I said going into that and I tweeted out uh, before the before the fourth round started. I said, this is the perfect spot for the Jets to trade back because I, I looked, <clears throat> pardon me, I looked at the players who were available and I felt like I could pick out 15 or 20 names that I really liked. And I thought, and you know, and of course some of them are safety, some of them are playing positions where the Jets don't have a need, but they're probably going to go. So I'm looking at it and thinking, and I, I think I, I messaged somebody at the time while I was watching live. I thought if they move back up to 15 spots and add a, cup, add a pick or two, I'd be happy with that which is what they did. They moved back, I believe, 11 spots. They added a pick. That was fine. Uh, the second pick, I was, I was happy with that before the details were released because I figured they'd added another pick. But the moving down five or six spots to move up five or six spots at a later point, that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, especially the unpredictability of the draft. Moving up around later, you don't know who's going to be there. Um, I thought that was a weird trade. I don't know if they, unless they really, really, I mean, and even then to make the trade that early, unless there was a guy that they thought we, we would love to get him in the next round, but we really feel like there are two or three teams behind this spot that might grab him. Then I guess I get it, but you don't always show your hand that early on. So um, I, you know, I was fine with trading back at that, that spot because I thought that was the perfect spot to do it because you would be able to drop back 15, maybe even 20 spots and still be able to get a guy who has the potential to be a, a solid contributor. And it was with um, the next pick, 157 overall, that they took the, uh, I would say, my least favorite pick of the draft um, in middle linebacker Blake Cashman. And now this isn't because I don't like Blake Cashman. Um, I actually, much like the tight ends, with the addition of C.J. Mosley, with, with Avery Williamson, with Darren Lee still on the roster, with Neville Hewitt being re-signed, I spent minimal time looking at inside linebackers. Those are probably the two positions, you know, blocking tight ends and inside linebackers, I spent very little time on because I just didn't think that was a possibility. Uh, so I went and watched some Blake Cashman last night, and the thing that jumped out at me for his size, he's not a very big guy. Um, but he could, he could, you look at him right away and you think he can already stack and shed better, better than Darren Lee. Um, definitely has better instincts, ran a four or five of the combine. So he's by no means is he slow. Um, and, and you know, and, and as the reality sets in that Darren Lee probably isn't going to be around, um, the pick makes a little bit more sense as you're, you're sort of your pet, your coverage linebacker in the middle. Um, so I've softened on that a little bit at first. I thought this doesn't make any damn sense. But the more I think about it, I, I just I feel like this team is ready to move on from Darren Lee. So for that reason, the pick makes some more sense. It gives you a coverage linebacker with good speed who is stronger against the run than Darren Lee. So while, you know, initially I, I graded the pick as a D, not based on ability, but based on need and based on the fact that I would have preferred a center in that spot. 
But having come to grips with the fact that any center in that spot wasn't going to start and Darren Lee will probably be gone, I would probably upgrade that grade to a C plus. Um, and P- PFF loved him. This is what PFF said about him uh, in, in reviewing the Jets draft. They, they broke it down by day, day one, two, and three. And they put it's, it's the Blake Cashman pick at 157 for the Jets that takes the cake as the team's best selection on Saturday. Cashman had a 90.0-plus overall grade this season and tested out as one of the most athletic linebackers in the class at the Combine, earning our 59th overall spot on our big board. So the Jets got a guy at 157 that PFF had ranked at 59. And once Darren Lee is gone, he takes that spot, and the pick makes more sense. So I've, I've eased up a little bit on my, my criticism of that pick. Yeah, uh, Blake is, is definitely one of the head scratchers that I had. That's probably where I went to Twitter and was a little bit more reactionary um, because throughout the entire day, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at my list and looking at players that I know that they've kind of been interested in throughout their process. And, you know, names like Michael Jordan were available before the Trayvon Wesco pick. Um, same with Ross Piercebacher, the Alabama center. Um, and then after we made this pick, in the sixth round, Lamont Galliard goes, and then I really started to unravel and question why we brought in this guy because they had the opportunity not only to bring in maybe a future guard if it doesn't work out at center, but if one of those guys ends up working out, you've just filled the center position for the next four, eight years if he gets an extension. So I really thought that there was going to be an advantage for us at that point, uh, walking away out of this draft, having filled two um, you know, critical needs on the offensive line. Um, you, you short up the defense as far as the front seven. You know, maybe let's just look at, um, you know, a wide receiver before we get out of here for Sam Darnold, and, and let's call it a day. And they go out and they get a tight end, they get a linebacker, and then they end it with um, a guy that I'd never heard of. So I was definitely very, very emotional about what direction they were going into. Now, I had heard um, a lot about um, after the combine, and, and I listened to a lot of the PFF uh, podcasts pretty much whenever they, they are available. Um, this was also a guy that was talked about on Lockdown Draft Network um, and the draft dudes, the guys from um, you know Kyle Krabs, uh, Joe Marino, and those guys. They all had Blake Cashman uh, relatively high on their board. And uh, even though, like you said, 6'2", 235, maybe a little undersized, I know he doesn't have the longest arm, so that'll be one of his deficiencies um, in his game. But, you know, after watching some tape, he's got some coverage skills. Um, You know, he he takes good angles. Uh, He's not a big hitter, per se, as a linebacker. He'll more wrap uh, wrap up your lower body and bring you down to the ground uh, more than try to just, like, drive through you. Uh, But, you know, there was some special teams things as well. And when you're looking at the value – um, the fifth, sixth, seventh round, it's very, very unlikely. Um, I was kind of hoping that we'd find another Brandon Shell-style um, offensive lineman. Uh, but you do need special teams. This guy's going to be an ace. And if you think about our special teams as a whole, um, Copeland, Hewitt, Rontez Miles, now you're throwing in a kid like this, Cashman. There, there's going to be a strong, strong special teams unit again this year. And uh, as far as bringing somebody in maybe a nickel or dime packages somewhere down the line as the Jets try to diversify their, their defensive uh, packages, 
this is a guy that, you know, probably could fight for snaps, maybe not early on, maybe at the midpoint to the end of the season, depending on how the roster shakes out. But, you know, he, he's going to be a solid football player. It's still a head-scratcher to me, as I, I would have went in different directions. But I don't think that we got a bad football player here, and, and the value of the fifth round justifies his pick. So, you know, we, we got to root for him. At, you know, he's a Jet now, so where it is. Yeah, and like I said, I was, I was impressed with his ability to uh... – I, I didn't mention one thing I meant to say. I'm impressed with his ability to get through traffic. Again, for a smaller guy, mm. you know, you kind of – I expected him to get eaten up a little bit, but he, he was able to find the find the crease and, you know, find the crack and get through and make some hits. He had quite a few tackles for loss. So, like I said, after my initial why the hell did they make this pick, um, the reality oh, of – Tar- I think you had mentioned this. I looked it up. He had, He's had three shoulder surgeries throughout his college yes. career. So that's something that, was, that, you know, again, Mike McCagnon. Like I'd, I'd, I'd love to know the extent. These caliber players with a little bit of, uh, I'd love know, to know the extent. That's what, I, that's, what I, that's what I haven't had a chance to look up. Because you can have a small shoulder scope. that's like a pinhole procedure. takes a couple weeks to recover from, and there's no real major damage. Um, I'd like to see how much time he missed. I'm, I'm going to try to find that and see exactly what he had done and what the ramifications could be. But speaking uh, I, of I players with here. injuries. Um, three games in 2015, I guess that was his freshman year, he had 11 games, 10 games, and then 12 games. Now, uh, he was uh, pretty good at with the getting into the backfield his sophomore year with 10.5 tackles for a loss and 7.5 and sacks, but his sack numbers dwindled um, as he went as a junior and a senior, but he did get his tackles up. Uh, he ended with... Uh, 100 tackles with 15 for a loss and two and a half sacks. So this is, you know, this is a guy that has a uh, knack for getting into the backfield and, and, and causing disruption. He is a little bit, like you had said earlier, he's got to be a little clean, um, kind of sift his, his way through traffic. He, he doesn't really take on blocks very well. But if you find a way to, you know, get this guy as a free blitzer, he can definitely cause some problems. I think I think again I've I've eased up a little bit uh, after initially any like and you mentioned it I I didn't bring it up you know even if he's a special teamer at that point you know even if he's a guy like uh, who am I thinking of Michigan State uh, Nick Balor no. no Nick Balor if he's that type okay. of guy you know solid backup spot starter special teams ace Nick Balor is a guy that. Uh, that comes to mind, somebody like that. But speaking of injuries, <laughs> what's that? No, you just need those guys on your team. So, you know, even yeah. though myself, I wanted to go in a different direction at the end of the day, you do have to figure out how this roster is going to pan out and, and have your three units, you know, in it figured out. So this is just one of those positional decisions. Yep. And then with their final pick, the Jets go high risk. If you if you want to call a sixth rounder high risk, it, but there is some risk, but potential high reward with Blaswan Austin out of Rutgers. Now this is a guy who has played four or five games in the last two years because of ACL injuries. Prior to that, his first two seasons at Rutgers, he was playing at a level that had some people apparently talking about him like he was going to be a first or second round pick. Um, then the injuries derailed him. The Jets saw an opportunity to get a high talent, you know, a high ceiling guy 
in round six. And uh, I, I, you know, looking at his numbers, the thing that jumped out to me when he was playing, when he was healthy, year two, he had 14 passes defended. That's a big number. 14 pass breakups is, is a pretty significant number. So uh, I went and compared that to some of the other guys that were drafted and, uh, and looked at kind of a per game, you know, not, I didn't look at the, I didn't figure out the actual, you know, breakups per game type of thing. But what I did find is that of every corner that was drafted this year, there was only, there were only two guys who played as few games as Austin did and had more pass breakups. Um, Austin in 25 career games had 18 pass breakups. Then there was Byron Murphy who had 20 pass breakups in 20 games and Greedy Williams who had 19 pass breakups in 24 games. That's it. Everybody else who had more pass breakups than that played a ton more games. Um, uh, you know, Ballantyne, 46 games, Baker, 36, Jeremy Lane, 31, Holman, 40, Marshall, 48. So these, all these guys who, who had more pass breakups managed to do it because they played, you know, in some cases almost double the games. So in just, yeah, in just 25 contests, 18 pass breakups. So obviously a disruptive corner and a guy who, again, high ceiling may, may never pan out. But, you know, to me, if you're going to take a guy with an injury history, but who has a high ceiling, that's where you do it. Sixth and seventh round, man. It's, 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 it's the biggest long shot in the draft. You're, you know, you're hoping for the best. About 10, 15% of those guys make it. So if you know you're taking a guy who's probably not going to make it anyway, why not take a shot on a guy who just a couple years ago was viewed as a first or second round player? So I personally have no issue with the pick, especially, again, at that point. What, what, what Tell me the seventh rounder you were going to get that's a, that's a guaranteed lock to be a good player. There isn't one. So, as I said, if you're going to get one, may as well go with the guy who uh, – No, I'm kidding. <laughs> may, may, I mean, listen, there were some good players left on the board. Don't get me wrong. Uh, oh, man, there were some guys that we were surprised they – so bad. Uh, well, there, there were some guys that we were surprised to see go undrafted. As, you know, it, that happens every year. So, let's, uh, let's take a – we won't go as in-depth because – you know, for me, honestly, I got to go back and watch some more of these guys. I've been spending a good chunk of today to get some sort of initial thoughts on the undrafted free agents. So what I'll do, what I'll do at this point, I'm going to name off the player in the position. And then when I'm done, Alex, uh, we can bounce back and forth and give some thoughts on the players that we've seen enough of to offer an opinion. Because some of these guys I haven't even looked at yet. Um, undrafted, not very highly rated, and it's a fairly long list. So I'll, I'll run through it real quick. What I have here, I don't know if it's changed, if it's updated, and none of these are official. They haven't been announced by the team, but they were announced by agents, by the players themselves, things like that. Sometimes guys do say they're going to go to a team, and then they don't. But as of now, what we've got is Appalachian State running back Jalen Moore, Wake Forest wide receiver Greg Dortch, Wyatt Miller, an offensive lineman out of UCF, and help me with it, Toa Lobendon. Oh, that was easier yeah. than I thought. <laughs> Yeah, it, lo- it looked good. a lot more daunting, and then I said it, and I was like, yeah, I think I said that right. Koa Lobendon <laughs> out of USC, Tyler Jones, another O-lineman out of NC State, Jeffrey Anderson out of Fresno State, John Battle the fourth out of LSU, he's a safety. E-lineman, Myquan Stout, I mean, if your last name is Stout, you have to play defensive line. I don't care if you weigh 150 pounds. 
out of Appalachian State, <laughs> Malik Reed out of Nevada, Trayvon Sanders out of Troy. He's a D lineman. Linebacker Jamie Mosley, C.J. Mosley's younger brother out of Alabama. That's probably just a favor to him. He played 12 games at Alabama in his college career, had 18 tackles. So he averaged five, six tackles a season. Uh, wide receiver Jeff Smith out of Boston College. He's an interesting one. I'll explain why. Outside linebacker defensive end Justin Alexander, University of Incarnate Wood, of Incarnate Word. Uh, Kyron Brown, cornerback out of Akron. Jabril Frazier, Boise State defensive end linebacker. Fred Jones, Florida State, another family member. For those of you who remember the great Marvin Jones, Shade Tree out of Florida State, that is his nephew. Defensive end Kyle Phillips out of Tennessee. And last but not least, Santos Ramirez, safety out of Arkansas. Alex, do you have any thoughts on these players? How much have you seen of them? Don't feel like you have to do what people on Twitter do and make it up and pretend you know everything about everyone. What do you got? <laughs> well, I'm definitely not going to do that because I know people can fact check and, and <laughs> that'll be interesting on my Twitter. Hey, page. it doesn't stop but the mainstream media, does it? No, it does not. That's mainstream for, for sports media. Short. I'm talking about sports media. We're not getting into politics. Mainstream <laughs> sports media. Uh, a couple of the guys that I was able to watch last night, I, I spent a uh, a good amount of time watching Greg Dortch. Um, now, this was a kid that I'm kind of a little shocked um, that he made it as a UDFA because I don't see why you wouldn't want to take a flyer on him in the seven. Um, he's a kick returner. He's a punt returner. He could play in the slot. Um, and the one thing that I really liked from this kid was uh, his coach said something really catchy. Um, he would make you miss in a phone booth. That's the kind of moves that this guy has. Uh, he can really cut on the dime. Uh, I, I did put out a thread earlier this morning uh, with some fun clips. Um, I'll probably add to that and get a couple of YouTube videos for you film junkies out there. So check out my Twitter feed, um, you know, tonight for some Greg Dortch. I really liked what I saw. I mean, this kid's got flat out speed and he's got great moves and he has this, uh, this one specific game. I wish it was, I knew the team it was against, but he had two punt return touchdowns in that game. And the second one is something straight out of a highlight reel from Madden. He must have used, you know, two jukes, a spin move, a stiff arm. He did everything that he could, and he, and he got that second touchdown. And um, I think the, the commentator said, you know, Greg Dorch, the magician or something like that, does it again. So he's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, I think, uh, you know, fans will enjoy uh, seeing his tape. And as far as somebody that's going to compete as a special teamer in the return game and maybe could even find himself trying to compete and crack for the top five in this wide receiver um, starting role. So I keep my eyes on Greg Dortch. And then the other guy I only got to briefly see that I really uh, thought was intriguing was Jalen Moore. Now this was a guy that um, had gotten hurt last year um, and, you know, he only got to play five games. But prior to that, he was very, very active. He's got great balance after contact, good speed. And he has a knack, um, you know, in the red zone too. So, you know, these are just bodies at this point. Um, it's yet to be seen. Um, you know, Jalen Moore will be able to crack the 53, but he's definitely uh, somebody that we might end up seeing on the 53 uh, being talked about as maybe a, a fourth running back or something like that. You know, maybe Trenton Cannon um, days could be in jeopardy if Jalen Moore really impresses. Yeah. It's always fun, especially like for the diehard fans who just eat this stuff up. Um, it's always a lot of fun to watch the journey for these undrafted guys because you root like hell for them. Uh, you kind of you try to peg one or two 
early on that you think could make the roster. I know for me a few years ago, and I, um, Joe used to give me a hard time. You may have heard me. Um, I wouldn't shut up about Robbie Anderson's performance. In w- there was one particular game against uh, Houston because they had, uh, was it William Jackson, whoever it was, they had a first-round corner, and Robbie Anderson just smoked him, 11 catches and a ton of yards. And uh, Joe got to the point he would make fun of me because he'd be like, we know, we know, Houston tore him up. But I was just like, mm-hmm. I was I was on Robbie Anderson and just really, you know, thought that even as deep as the Jets were at receiver at that point, I thought he was a guy they should hang on to. It's, it's just fun to watch these guys. Um, Greg Dorch, I agree. I, I didn't get, I watched a tiny bit of Jalen Moore, not a whole lot, so I won't speak on him. Um, Greg Dorch, yeah, you know, great, great speed. I think the thing that it helped, that hurts him um, is, is being 5'7". I know small guys can make it, but mm-hmm. when you start getting it 5'8", five, 5'7", five, and under there, there are folks that uh, it might scare some teams off. He did run a four four six. He honestly, maybe it's because he's small and he, he's so quick. He looks like he's playing faster than that. Uh, another guy that I watched a little bit of who I really liked and uh, heard a lot from uh, Biff Sweeney. If uh, for those of you who listen to the No Fly Zone podcast over here, they do their show from over here in Ireland. Um, he's been talking about Wyatt Miller pretty steadily all day, and he said he watched quite a bit of him before the draft. He was a big fan. I like him. I like what I saw. This saw a guy who blocked through the whistle, like got his hands on guys and just drove them back. He's played both tackle spots, durable. He's played, you know, he played 37 consecutive games at one point. So he's a guy that I'm interested in. Uh, another guy, another O lineman, I watched a tiny bit of. Um, so, and again, I won't say much. Just uh, Tyler Jones out of NC State. I plan on watching more of him over the next couple of days. He's a guy who played some left tackle, and let's face it, there's, uh, you know, even having taken a guy in the draft who could play left tackle, don't be surprised if uh, that's, you know, one or two of these guys end up sticking. Uh, Jeffrey Anderson out of Fresno State did not watch John Battle out of LSU. Haven't watched any of him yet. Uh, Mike Quant's out. Didn't see much out there on him. Uh, Reed Sanders, Mosley, no, no, no. Jeff Smith out of Boston College. Here's why Jeff Smith is interesting. I'm assuming he came to BC as a quarterback. I'm assuming because uh, his numbers were atrocious, but he had 93 pass attempts. It looks like he had a, a couple games where he threw sort of 20, 30 passes uh, in his first season. And then after that was just kind of used as a receiver, but would, would throw the occasional passes, a gimmick play. He completed, uh, he made Christian Hackenberg look good. He completed 36% of his passes as a quarterback. Um, but he did throw six touchdowns to three interceptions. So I think as a gimmick guy, um, he did a nice job. And as a receiver, he uh, had 1,000 yards, nine touchdowns, 72 catches, and had had himself a really good workout. Gil Brandt commented after uh, attending the, no, the pro day saying he thought that Jeff Smith had worked his way into the later rounds because he ran a, uh, a sub-4, 440. He ran a 4-3-4, jumped at 36-and-a-half, um, 10-7 broad jump, 406 short shuttle. So he he did some good things at his pro day, and his he, he's the type of guy you look at and think uh, like a Belichick would grab him, and you know he loves these guys who can throw the ball on a trick play. So Jeff Smith is an interesting one to to look at. Explosive speed, and uh, and a guy who can who can do a couple different things for you. Justin Alexander haven't watched. Kyron Brown out of Akron literally watched a couple minutes. Of a of a highlight clip, I haven't seen a game yet, but uh, did you know saw a couple one fantastic fully laid out diving interception. Um, but again, it's a highlight reel. I'm not I'm not going to comment on 
a little more till I, till I watch some more of him. And uh, that pretty much, oh no, Santos Ramirez. I watched some of him. Um, big time hitter. He's a guy I looked at and thought he's someone who could take Rontez Miles' job if he if it turns out he's got the brains. If he knows if he's as savvy as you know Miles as a as a veteran, um, you know that might be the one thing Rontez has on him is that he's uh, he's been around for a while. But if this kid catches on, um, and I'm not saying I've read anything that he's not a bright guy. That's not what I'm getting at. I'm just saying the advantage Rontez Miles would have on him is his experience. So if Ramirez can uh, can catch on and pick up the playbook, big-time hitter, forced a few fumbles, and probably a special team candidate. But that's it for me on the uh, the undrafted guys. We will have more on our full show on uh, on Tuesday night at 6.30. And uh, that's it, really. Uh, I mean, your thoughts on Darren Lee. We uh, We talked about him quite a bit before the draft, Alex, and – he ends up not getting traded. Mike McCagnan would not com- would not comment publicly as to whether or not the Jets would be picking up his 50-year option and would not comment on whether or not he'll be on the roster. So what are your thoughts on the Darren Lee situation? Do you just At this point, do you just say a lot of potential, first-round pick, but he's a little bit nutty, so we're going to let him go? Or do you say first-round pick, a lot of potential, let's hope he grows out of it and let him stick around for another year. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I believe that he's days away from having his fifth year option uh, being picked up. And uh, his comments were very, very, you know, down the road, right in the middle, kind of in the gray area, which makes it so frustrating as a fan. When the media puts it out there, you could go either way with it. Uh, So people say he's gone, like, forget about it. Well, you were probably also saying that he was going to get traded during the draft as well, which clearly did not happen. And that would have been a good time to move him too, if you wanted to, you know, replace him with another younger body. Uh, so it's, it's going to be one of those uh, situations we're going to have to keep her, you know, an eye on. Um, I hope that, you know, he, he finds a role. Um, we've got a slew of linebackers uh, piled up right now, either 10 or 11 guys off my head that could all compete and fit in all sorts of different schemes uh, for Greg Williams. And it just remains to be seen on who's going to really, uh, you know, bite into the playbook and who's going to, you know, really gel into what he's going to try to do because we can't assume the same things from the last regime with, with the players that we have in-house. Just because, you know, we have some household guys from 2017 and 2018 in here doesn't mean that they're going to be focal points going into 2019. So, Guys like, you know, uh, Copeland and Luvu and Hewitt, Lee, Cashman, where are these guys going to pan out? You know, who knows? Um, there's definitely enough people out there to to debate and say all everything with Mosley and bringing in Cashman and bringing back Copeland means that they're looking to maybe create a team that doesn't have him in the picture. So you can go either way with it. Um, uh, obviously, you know my stance. I like Lee. I, I really like to see him stay as a Jet. But if there is some sort of compensation that we could get with him, um, you know, I've been looking at some other teams this morning, depth charts, and seeing a lot of interior guys like stacked up in Cincinnati and in Baltimore and even in Seattle who we've worked out deals with. It would be interesting to see sometime during the summer, maybe we package a deal with him for another offensive lineman. I, I think I've mentioned this before. So uh, my guess, I guess at the end of the day, is I do feel that there's a good possibility that he gets dealt, um, but there's also just as much as a chance that he has a role as a coverage guy, 
as a speed blitzer and somebody that can mix it up, um, you know, when you're trying to put out different uh, formations and defense. And I'll tell you what, if they do let him go, uh, Darren Lee has been known to send out the occasional odd, weird, cryptic tweet. And it oh, looks Lord. like it looks like if he goes, <laughs> Ja'Kai Polite will be stepping right in, <laughs> as Ja'Kai Polite tweeted just a little while ago. Knew something was up, and that's it. Nothing else. So mm. something is up. We don't know what it is, but Ja'Kai Polite it, did know. He knew something was he up. He means jet up. <laughs> yeah, yeah let, let's hope that's what he means. He's already gotten a couple of interesting reactions from people. Like, already with yeah. this? this I've already right heard away. this guy's a bit of a clown in the locker room. So it'll be interesting to see how his personality is embraced. I, 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 I'll put the YouTube video out there that I saw. And uh, he's definitely a jokester. Um, uh, on Good Morning America, they do this thing called the Thunderlick, and they had Chase Winovich as one of their top guys, as um, one of the best personalities of players that come out in this draft. And um, there was a case that was made for Jagai Polite being one of the more charismatic and interesting personalities out of all the players in this draft class. So we'll see where that goes. Uh, could be a good thing, could be fun. Um, I know there's plenty of Florida Gators in that locker room. So it'll be an interesting, uh, you know, high tempo off a uh, locker room. I, I feel. Absolutely. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to read off this list here. I, I made up, I, I tweeted this list out the other day and just, just in short, the jets off season so far, um, signed an all pro running back traded for an all pro left guard, added a multi-time pro bowl inside linebacker, added one of the top slot wide receivers in free agency, Drafted arguably the best player in the draft. Drafted a guy who has the potential to be a legitimate edge rusher and a steal in the spot he was in. Drafted a possible future left tackle, um, but they did not add a center, so fans are freaking out. Um, I I still see people saying that uh, it's like John Edzik never left because the Jets didn't add a center this offseason. Good Lord. So, yeah, the insanity is real. Uh the McCagnan madness is uh, lurking around every corner. Uh, hey, the man's not perfect, but uh, I'm, I'm liking what he's put together. We'll get more into that. We, we will do – I get what we'll probably do, Alex, next uh, – or on Tuesday is a somewhat of a 53-man roster rundown, uh, but just a brief one, not, not in-depth as we would do closer to the season. So uh, that's it for us tonight. Alex, thanks so much for joining me, and uh, we look forward to catching up with you fans again on Tuesday night. Take care, everybody. And Alex, give out your Twitter handle again. Okay, and you can follow me at NYJetsLife24. That's at NYJetsLife24. Thanks, Jet Nation. Have a good night. And also, uh, when you get a minute, fans, uh, do us a favor. Give us some iTunes reviews, especially now, especially now that Alex is on board. Let's show him some love. And uh, let us know what you think of the the new and improved format, since it's no longer just myself mumbling into a microphone uh, solo for an hour to two hours a night or a week. And just want to say thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great night, Jets fans.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.